0: So you think you can manage. We are the So You Think You Can Manage podcast, and we did you all a favor. We took a break when things went bad, and we swore to ourselves we would not come back until the season was over, and we did that. And now that our Philadelphia season's magic run is over, we are back. I am Shane hosting this one in place for Andrew, who is, in fact, here today. Andrew, I felt like we missed you a lot in the last run there. Andrew, how are you, dude?
1: I'm doing well yeah sorry about that it got it got busy here as we went through the fall semester we had like four sports teams and you know just balancing that with all the home games it, it became a lot
0: It did and then you had to sit there and, and watch what a what a run what a final 45 days of, of baseball for for the Philadelphia Phillies biscuit how are you how are you managing things?
2: I am managing quite well. Um, you know, just got a got a full day's worth of spending time with my baby, which is always fun. Um, like you said, the Phillies run was it was some of the best baseball I've ever got to watch as as a diehard fan. Certainly, very exciting for me. I feel like I can't claim the the 2011 to, or 2007 to 11 run just because like I wasn't as diehard as I am now. So this oh, this young. has been a blast. Oh well, yeah, and, you know. I, I was old enough. Like I was in grade school. I remember it well, but I just, you know, I, I wasn't hooked. Baseball wasn't my drug yet. Um, so I, I had a ball.
0: So that's one of the things that is, is so beautiful about this run. You know, you, you mentioned, and I appreciate the fact that you acknowledge that, you know, you, you, you weren't quite as into the game and into the sport and, you know, in grade school and junior high. And, and I don't know that a lot of people are, um, you know, it truly does depend on the household that you're in and what kind of values are instilled to you. Right. Mm -hmm. But for so many, you know, this, this is, it's over a decade long for us at this point before we got to see what postseason baseball is like in the city of Philadelphia. And we absolutely showed out, you know, it's, it's been a rough, rough decade plus here, uh, for, for red pinstripes and to see how quickly, the city just was was here for you, um, and this is creating memories for all the people who didn't have the opportunity to be the the real, true diehard like you, Biscuit now, um, because you're of an age now that you can appreciate that. Um, you know, you have enough going on in your life that you need the escape that baseball provides 162 times a year. And that's what this Philadelphia Phillies team did for a vast majority of the regular season, you know, save for for the early days of, of Girardi and a, a, a difficult September. Um, you know, and then obviously this playoff run um, and to see it all come back and to, to be able to witness so many people's first, you know, the the moment where they fell in love with the game of baseball um, and where they fell in love with what it really can bring. Um, this is one of the coolest runs I've I've been a part of and watched in my entire life um, for any sport, for, for anything at all. Um, so, you know, obviously the Philadelphia Phillies National League champions this year completely <laughs> Just to the surprise of I think everyone who's ever watched a baseball game in their life, Um, you know, a team that we felt like had postseason aspirations that were valid, uh, a team that that could could compete, maybe win a wild card, uh, you know, maybe you know compete for a difficult division round, but certainly not a World Series contender. And and you know, we were the the final team to fall, Um, you know, losing in six games to the you know, rightfully so the superior Astros, the deeper Astros team. but so much about this season, and tonight, you know, as we come back for the first time uh, since our hiatus, where you know, again, we're we're a little stitches over here, right? You know, we we things were starting to take a fall, and we said we got to hit hit the brakes, and we didn't want to be the ones to mess the flow back up by by sitting here and talking about a winning baseball team. So we waited it out. So we're gonna kind of go over a lot of the, the the things that happened this year, the big storylines, the, the the arcs of the season, um, whether it be for the team, the organization, or for individual players. Um, and that's going to kind of carry us through through a lot of our next uh, episodes in the next couple of weeks here. Um, but I do want to kind of start off with, with what I think was probably the the you know unquestioned turning point of the season. I'm going to go to you, Andrew, for this. You know, the guy who who stayed on Girardi's bandwagon the longest, who, who was a supporter of Girardi the longest, was you. Um, and there was a point in our shows and in our text conversations where you finally hit that that point where you're like. Yeah, he's just not the guy. Um, but we could tell how difficult that was for you to, to come across that. What did you kind of gather from the Girardi firing that maybe instilled faith that this organization was making a, a decision that could put them in the postseason?
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing uh, that you saw was uh, the firing of Gir- Girardi created the uh, daycare kids. I mean, you saw it come out, uh, Verling. Uh, Bryson Stott really showed. He got uh, consistent playing time. Obviously, that wasn't right after Girardi got fired, but eventually DD Gregorius gets uh, released and everything. So it really turned the keys over to Stott. And I think that was one of the biggest things uh, that I saw that really turned the season around. It's just the young energy you got from the club. I mean, I think you just saw their attitudes. I think you saw the, the fun they had. Uh, change and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Kyle Gibson's wife, maybe. Um, Even said something, yep. came out and said something about how it looked like they weren't having fun. And then then all of a sudden they were having fun. So like that, that is number one. And then number two, I would have to say just the bullpen management. I mean, you saw the late innings uh, having faith and I mean, not necessarily handing out roles to certain guys, but kind of going with the hot hand and, and everything you saw uh, from Thompson.
0: I completely agree with a lot of that. You know, it, it's I think I, I want to talk a little bit about the the lighthearted nature of the clubhouse. Right. Philadelphia is notoriously an unbelievably difficult sports town to play for. Um, however, anyone that's ever won here will tell you how magical this city truly can be and how much fun it is to win here. Winning in Philadelphia feels different. And, you know, you, you take I mean, you could take a look even at. um during the Eagles game today, and on the broadcast, um, you know, talking about uh, CJGJ, you know, and how how little fun he had as a as a New Orleans Saint and coming over here, and instantly he, it's it's a lighter room, it's a, it's a team and it's a it's a locker room that's that's winning and having fun and loving what they're doing, and that that genuinely translates and generally translates onto the field. It never felt for an a minute of Girardi's run here that this team felt like they were having fun. Girardi to me is, is a guy who um and this is going back, but uh in his time in um you know in Miami and, and then going to, to New York, he was he was so proudly in favor of um you know of the no facial hair thing, right? Like he was such a traditionalist and such an old, old guy of the game, old white guy of baseball. And it just felt like it felt just old and rotten to me it just felt like like something that has just passed this man by and when you had a lot of guys here in this clubhouse who who were advocates for the make baseball fun again and, and big personalities that never made sense to me biscuit you were one of the first guys off on the girardi train this was something that that you had snuffed out i mean very early on you know i don't know that the honeymoon phase of the hiring was over before you were already like this guy ain't it you know for you how much of a relief was it just to know that <laughs> anybody else was going to be out there uh in the play card
2: <clears throat> a fart could have managed that team better than joe Girard.
0: <laughs> oh jesus
2: <laughs> um look to me or even even when they started interviewing candidates after they fired gabe Kapler. I always said that hiring Joe Girardi, to me, it felt like an overcorrection and not an overcorrection in the sense that analytics and the new wave of baseball wasn't going to be on the forefront for this team, because I do think Joe Girardi was for the most part in tune with that. But it felt like it was an overcorrection in the fact that they were truly at heart, even though he was open to analytics, he still kind of managed like an old school manager. He was very slow to kind of adapt and get a change on anything when change needed to happen. He played the veterans. He didn't give the young guys enough time. So when he was finally relieved of his duties, as they say, I was relieved. Um, You know, like you said, it was the turning point of the season. Everyone kind of started playing a more relaxed and fun variant of baseball after that. And look at the end result. You don't get that if Joe Girardi still is managing. So, um, you know, you, you talk about a moment that really saved the season. It sucks because someone lost a job. And, you know, I think at, at heart, Joe Girardi not like a terrible person from what I hear. But um, he just wasn't doing his job, and he certainly wasn't good at it. So moving on from him was obviously, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, and we even knew at the time then it was the right call.
0: For sure, you know, and, and both of you kind of alluded to, you know, the Phillies daycare, and I, I want to shifted to the flyers for a moment we sit there and we we talk about john tortorella and what he's able to do uh and what he's sticking to doing uh with the flyers it's about managing a process for him understanding that they need to figure out what pieces are going to be here for the long haul we had a lot of question marks despite having a lot of talent on this roster you know you take a look at guys like alec bohm who uh, honestly it, it was by dumb luck that he, he remained a Philadelphia Philly, you know, uh, it was a guy that was actively, you know, put on the market. It was a guy that was not going to be in the starting lineup. It was a guy that might be shifted down to triple a, you know, out of necessity. You take a look at Bryson Stott, who despite earning an opening day starting role, um, you know, was, was quickly uh, shifted back down to triple a then in and out of the lineup. You know, when you take a look at what John Tortorella has been preaching and, and saying, like it is about the process. We have to understand what we have, and that's not going to happen overnight. And it's weird to say that that you know you're talking about a process uh, while you're also competing. But that's the difference in baseball, right? You know, 162 games. You know, you, in in hockey, you know, you 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 have a bad 10 game stretch, and that's an eighth of the season done. And that's, that's a real kick in the dick and it's hard to overcome that. But in baseball, it's the 16th of the season. And you sit there and you say, all right, well, what can we do? How can we help this player? And that's what Topper did. You know, he came in here and he said, listen, you know, we, we are going to give the confidence to, to these young guys because we believe in their ability to be difference makers. And down the run, some of the most pivotal at-bats in the postseason rested, uh, you know, on the shoulders of. Of Bryson Stott, who was just a true professional in there, working 8, 10, 12 pitch at bats, just proving to be a pest. You know, the results weren't always there on the back end of that. It didn't always work to a walk. It didn't always work to a hit for him, but it applied a lot of pressure and gave a lot of looks to guys behind him. And what more can you ask for a young 24-year-old, you know, up-and-coming shortstop or second baseman? We'll get there. Uh, for your Philadelphia Phillies team. Alec Bohm coming in there and becoming, I, I mean, what a story he has been, both offensively and defensively, the turnaround that he has had this season. And I think Toppers is the guy that comes in there, and, you know, he is this era's Charlie Manuel. And I know how cliche that sounds, but he is a just going to let these guys play, you know, I'm going to let them be confident. And and to me, he seems like a guy who understands the human experience, you know, a lot like how I believe Gabe Kapler was that way, maybe almost to a, to a fault in Kapler's uh, perspective, especially with Kapler's age, being a younger guy, um, you know, and certainly a more extroverted personality topper truly is a, i'm going to just sit in the background and i'm just going to give the confidence to my guys so to me i think it's the perfect personality fit for this clubhouse do i believe he's a perfect manager i don't but do i believe that for this team it's going to work i really do so let's shift to the daycare here as we talked about a lot of them you know let's start with alec bohm for a moment you know this is a guy who makes uh one of the still one of the most Philadelphia things that we're ever going to see guy makes three errors in, in a matter of uh, an inning or a few innings, um, is caught on camera saying, I fucking hate this place. And uh, you know, he's asked about it rightly so. And Phillies apparently have a good PR team for once and they sit there and they prep this kid for the question and he answers it the right way. And he gets an applause from the, the, fans the next night in a pinch hitting situation. You know, from that night on, he was a different baseball player. You know, it was like, it was like, fuck, I, I can't get lower than I was that night. And all of a sudden he became one of the most consistent bats in your lineup. And one of the most improved defenders I can recall ever watching. I mean, this is a dude who I thought is just a butcher that was just unfortunately never going to be able to hold down the position of third base. Biscuit, as you take a look at Boehm and the improvements that he had, especially the defensive improvements uh, in the postseason, how comfortable with you as him going forward as the third baseman of the future?
2: Uh, I don't... Uh, it, it's hard, man. Look, you, you have a point. The improvements he's made, um, being able to watch a guy... Like that kind of transformed before your eyes was really one of the more fun parts about the season as a whole. And you're right. He has been more consistent both at the plate and in the field. But at the same time, I, it's still a little bit of a tough read for me in his future with the organization, um, and you know, as for as well as he improved defensively. This season, you never know what what next season holds, and he could certainly take a step back. So you got to see how a guy like that progresses, and obviously there's still time, you know, with him to see how that goes. But w- with Hoskins, you know, his contract ending the end of next year, Boehm, who everyone says could possibly shift to first base in the event that they do move Hoskins, I, I kind of want to see how that plays out still because. I, I really don't know. I don't see how both of them work in the long term equation for this team. Um, but but you know, it, it's certainly been fun to watch them so, this season.
0: So Andrew you brings up a, an interesting uh, an interesting point here in in the debate with, with Reese Hoskins, and, and we'll talk about this more whether it be on this show or in future episodes. Um, you know, the the Hoskins thing is, is finally feels like it's coming to a place where a definitive answer for the future is near. Uh, Dabrowski comes out the other day and says that, you know, he, he has the intention of offering a contract to him. And if he, he says, it's likely that Hoskins is your first baseman going into next season. Um, but we know that, that, you know, the, the right move um, or that, you know, essentially no one is safe with Dabrowski. He's going to do whatever it takes to, to improve this club. And, you know, while everyone coming out of, uh, or were, excuse me, other phrase. So, every other organization projected Bohm long-term to be a first baseman and not a third baseman that, you know, coming out of Wichita state, they thought, you know, this is, this isn't a guy that's going to hang at third base. The Phillies were one of few organizations that said, no, I think he can. Um, it's taken him now, you know, three, four years. And, and, you know, how do you think that would sit for a guy like Bohm for the first part of this question to say, Hey, thank you so much for the improved efforts over there at third base, but let's teach you first base now and you know two as a second part to that question is do you think that he would be any better or worse than Reese Hoskins who has played his entire career at first base you know and then finally do you believe that he generates enough power with his bat who at this point in his career has shown to be you know a a very good hitter but a doubles and gap guy at best you would be actively removing Reese Hoskins 30 plus home runs uh, and putting over at a prime RBI or a prime power spot at first base and putting a guy like Alec Bohm there. I know that's, I, I threw a lot at you there, and this Alec Bohm, Rios Hoskins conversation, but where do you kind of stand on those points? We lose you, Andrew. Biscuit, where do you stand on those points?
2: <laughs>
0: I think we lost Andrew there. Oh
2: no, we did lose Andrew. Um so I it, it's tough, man, because I actually like both of these guys a lot. I mm-hmm. think, you know, Bohm, maybe because he's a little bit younger, I don't think sometimes there's this as high as expectations as Hoskins has. But it feels like he skates by a lot of scrutiny. But both of these guys, I think, have a lot of upside and both have their flaws. I think Hoskins is at a point in a career where this is kind of his ceiling. You know what you're going to get from him. He's going to be a guy who doesn't hit for you know a high average, but he's consistent. He or Consistent in the regard that he's going to hit for power and that he's going to get on base for you. Um, I think he was... Miscast in his role as the two hole hitter this year, I think that was a you know perfect spot for Gene Segura, but that's now you know not here nor there at this point. Uh, whereas Boehm, I I think there's more to his ceiling, especially offensively. Like I do think he could be a 20 to 25 homer guy, so I think there's a little more power that can be unleashed there. I think he could certainly you know, be more of a gap hitter instead of just this, you know, slap hitter, hitter single guy um, you, you need to see those developments to really think that he's, I think, a more worthwhile investment than Reese Hoskins. Um, so if he can get to that point. Then I, I think ultimately down the line, he's the guy you have to put all your chips in. But at the same time, I, I just I'm reluctant to make that call yet because I also like Reese Hoskins and I and I think he's a really good player as well. But like we mentioned earlier, like I mentioned earlier, Hoskins is done at the end of this year. Um, it, It's going to be interesting or excuse me, at the end of 2023, it's going to be interesting to see if they decide to offer him a contract or not. Um, so I think this year is a, is a big, you know, tell all for everybody with these two. I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of conversation about the two of them, what the roles for the future of this team will look like, how it will work with the you know, possible new infielders that they may add. Um, it, it's going to be a fun storyline to watch next year, I think.
0: So as you continue to evaluate, let's let's stick on that for, for just a moment as you continue to evaluate those two pieces and where they may stick. For the foreseeable future, for, for this organization, what do you think the implications of the the now banned and outlawed shift is going to bring? You know, do you think that that is something you know that creates um, just a different sense of how teams play the game of baseball? You know, we see for 162 games a year, we see you know the three true outcome game, and then we saw all postseason, whether it was both by how the Philadelphia Phillies won baseball games or how they lost games. Uh, the importance of being able to manufacture runs, the importance of a stolen base, the importance of hitting runs, the importance of hitting the ball the other way or sack flies. All things that, you know, traditionally with the new way of baseball and the 3 true outcomes were not necessarily, you know, a, a consistent way to win baseball games. You're about to put that pressure back on. How does that apply to your your rationale over those two players?
2: So... You know, there's definitely with the rule changes, there's definitely going to be different strategies, different ways teams set themselves up and, and, you know, position their fielders and everything. But I don't know if it's going to be that drastic of a difference. But to your point, one thing I do think you're going to see more is balls in play. I think this will do. A good for, for those who want to see more action during games, more you know manufacturing of runs instead of hitting the ball out of the ballpark. So for that regard, you're going to see more balls in play. Reese Hoskins and Alec Bohm, I would still consider, even though we talked about Bohm's improvement earlier at the field, I would still consider both of them um, average to below average fielders. So um, th- there's going to be an impact there. Uh, maybe you do you know, what you kind of saw sometimes with uh, Ed Sosa late in playoff games, you know, swip, switching uh, him out for, for Boehm as a defensive replacement. Maybe you see something like that with Hoskins as well. I don't know. You kind of, you know, mo- most teams don't carry kind of like a, a bench first baseman for, for that stuff. You kind of just hope, you know, Reese can figure it out and make the play. But at this point in his career, I don't, I don't think you're going to get that. Um So, so it's another thing where it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that kind of affects. I honestly don't know. Um, I I do think, like I said before, you're going to see more balls in play, but, um, in terms of how teams prepare for that, how they go about their business moving forward because of this, uh, it's going to be another thing that's interesting to see.
0: Look, I, I I totally agree. Um, you know, it's something that I've, I've went back and forth with, I, I I've, in the beginning, I was annoyed by the shift, and then I appreciated it. Um, you know, and and then I've been annoyed at offense's inability to find ways to consistently beat the shift. Um, you know, so that the game could evolve again. I don't like forcing the game's hand after seeing the shifts in the in the game where the game has now taken that. It's taken the pressure off the offense away um, because it just couldn't find a way to beat pitching. Um, you know. So I, I still I still don't know how I, I feel in, in totality about um, you know banning the shift, but you know as it relates to those two players, it's certainly an argument uh, that, that we're going to continue to have. But let's work up the middle of the field now, and and, and I want to start with a guy who had a completely underrated season, and Andrew. Now that I see that you're back on, we're going to go to you. Um, JT, you know, who ends up garnering, you know, his share of, of MVP votes for a season that, again, in my opinion, extremely underrated As frustrating of a first half as he had um, the the immense value that he brought to this team to the pitching staff to the offense as a whole, you know, the his role defensively is going to become just that much more important as a vocal leader out there knowing that shift is gone and knowing that he's going to be communicating to either a second year shortstop or a second year shortstop turn second baseman and a free agent uh, signee, hopeful signee uh, at the shortstop position. Um, there's a lot of communication to go out there. What do you make of JT's season this year and the amount of innings that he caught this year? Uh, I think it was 127 innings more than the next uh, than the next catcher on the list. Um, what do you make of, of his usage and how they may manage him going forward next year to maybe get him off, you know, out of the catcher's position for a few games? And do you think that that also impacts the, the type of decision they make with a guy like Reese Hoskins? You know, do they think that they can, you know, take a step back for, for argument's sake, uh, at the first base position, knowing that, Hey, we could put JT there every once in a while, um, what is your feel on JT here?
1: Yeah, hopefully you can hear me good now. But um, you're good. I uh, no, I think it was definitely an under undervalued season for JT. I mean, especially when Harper goes down, he really picked up the team. Um, and it can't be said enough how much I think he saved the team. Honestly, offensively. I mean, it, we we talk about other guys going through slumps and everything. He was the one that really kind of stayed true to his game i mean yeah maybe the power wasn't there everybody expected but he was still hitting contact and he really kept himself in the middle of that lineup um i do think the worry going forward to your point is how many innings he is catching because i think toward the end of the season it was no secret that he was kind of a lot better when they would give him rest and extra days off and I, i think that's credit to garrett Stubbs for having a pretty good year as a backup. I mean oh yeah let's be, let's be real if Andrew Knapp was still here and he had that really bad season again you wouldn't have rested JT as much as you, you would have or you did this year. Uh so you were able to because of Garrett Stubbs and that's the importance of a, a backup catcher. So mm-hmm. um hopefully he's able to continue that and I think regardless who's at first, I think you're gonna see JT play one or two games just to get um him out behind the plate or even as the DH um, Especially with Harper's status for next year, uh, the beginning of the season being in question, and who knows what the DH situation will be like. I think JT is definitely an option there to start the year. Maybe you can uh, keep him off his feet for a little bit to to save him for down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I think it's imperative to do so. Um, You know, I think that, you know, obviously his his value is his ability to be the best two-way catcher um, in the game. and you know, proving that this year, but the immense workload, it's a position to me that does not and should not call for a player to command the amount of workload that he did um, from that position. And I think you know, when you mentioned DH uh, or your you know, first base, um, I think that those are scenarios that you have to look for a way to get him, you know, a start there a week, um, you know, if not, you know, a, a day off completely, um, you know, Work to get him starts there at a regular basis, um, and it brings brings up another question, you know, as we talk about the DH, you know, once again we're at a point where the the whole fucking team is a DH, you know, you brought up (laughs) Bryce Harper, and you know, and his injury and the surgery that that he's gotten. Uh, and what his season outlook looks like, you know, when will he be throwing? Will he be throwing at all next year? Is this another strictly DH season? When you when you take a look at this, you know, in, in a in a perfect world, you know, you wouldn't have both Schwarber and Castellanos in the field. Both both players are horrendous fielders, you know, and, and you would be able to DH your catcher, your your all-star, you know, MVP caliber catcher. You would be able to DH your first baseman who can't field the position whatsoever. But Harper not being able to be out there every day from a defensive standpoint really puts a wrinkle in things. What do you think the approach is? We, we've already heard, the, you know, the rumors of of, um, of Dombrowski saying, you know, he will entertain, you know, offers and uh, you know on guys like Reese Hoskins, on guys like uh, Nick Castellanos after just one year, which as down as I am and 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 many of us have been on him throughout this season, I think he is primed for a a response, you know comeback season for him next year what do you do you know in effort to to get jt off his feet you know and it brings us back to the reese hoskins conundrum you know to me he still seems like the piece that needs to be moved for the betterment of the organization and the fluidity of your roster for the immediate future as much as you know i am a fan of reese hoskins despite our obvious frustrations um to me it makes the most sense that he is the guy that goes what are your thoughts
1: yeah, I, I think I I think it's a spot you have to be careful with because I, I do think if you if you trade a guy like Castellanos, I think that's I think that would be a mistake personally. I, I think he had a down year. Um I I think he's due for a bounce back season next year. And here's the thing, if you're able to trade him in the off season, you'll probably be able to trade him at the deadline if it comes to it as well. So I, I think it's worth starting him um for next year and I get the whole thing. You don't want him and Schwerber uh, out, both out there and everything. But, yeah, I remember we just made the World Series with that same lineup. So I think you're going to be able to survive one month, possibly two months, until Harper gets back. If that's the case, obviously we have to wait for his, um, what the final ruling is for the surgery. I think he's supposed to get it this upcoming week uh, before we kind of get his full timetable uh, to mm-hmm. come back. So, and, I, and I'm a big Reese Hoskins guy, but honestly, I think if, if you had to pick one or the other just because of the D8 situation and you do move out from the first, you might be more beneficial to keep a guy like Castellanos over Hoskins. um, Just there in that middle of the lineup and see what you can do. And that's the thing too, is there's plenty of options out there. And I saw something. It was like, you could do, if you wanted to upgrade defense, you could flip, Hoskins and one of our pitching prospects, and you can get a guy like uh, Christian Walker and one of their young starters like uh, Zach Allen or something like that. So I, I think they, they're they're going to entertain everything, and, and a guy like Dave is definitely going to listen to everything possible. So it's definitely not going to be a quiet offseason in terms of the rumor mill.
0: I completely agree. You know, and I think that you know, you brought up a really good point in in terms of packaging Reese with one of the pitchers. Um, you know, a Reese McAble package seems likely this offseason. Um, you know, and it's something I would I would definitely keep my eye on. Biscuit, you're a guy who is, you know rightfully so down on Castellanos this year, you know as were were all of us. and you know, the one thing I would argue is you know this is a guy who has hit his entire professional career. Um, he went through several weird injuries this year that that perhaps played a more nagging role than what we anticipated. This is a difficult city to come into. He signed his, you know, his first real long-term, high-dollar contract, and and that's hard. He didn't really have a, a traditional offseason as he was a free agent. Um, he moved into Ben fucking Simmons' house as if that was good for anyone on the planet. There's a lot going against him right now. Uh, to to have the kind of year that he had, you know, what is your confidence level with him? Do you think it would be a mistake to sell low on a guy like? Uh, Castellanos and shipping him out this offseason to get someone else in there that, that can play the role a little better. Um you know or or do you think that uh you know it, it's uh, it's it's smart to keep him here and bank on a bounce back
2: here's the thing with Castellanos. I I agree with both of you. I think there's obviously so much room for him to have a better season than he did um, we, we've known this bat to be consistent we've known him to hit for you know power we've known him to um you know be, be a gaps guy extra base hits galore all of those things and you just didn't see that um and he's been so consistent throughout his career but here's what concerns me. You listen uh, to bring up to bring up things that I, I've heard just through other mediums. If you listen to the podcast Corey Sidman and Jim Salisbury do, or the one Matt Gelb does, and you hear these beat writers talk about the team and their offseason plans, both of those guys have mentioned at numerous points in recent shows that the Phillies are are really going to listen in on Castellanos. Mm-hmm. and I believe even Matt Gelb went on to say that um, he thinks that the front office thinks the signing was a bit of a mistake and wants to try to correct that move. Um, now, I'm not obviously, you know, quote unquote, I'm paraphrasing here, but that was about the gist of it. So so that really concerns me um, that, that, that they really think that just maybe the bat speed isn't there and that the bat might just be in, in severe regression, other than the fact that he was just struggling and had a down year. Um just because if you concern, if you you know want to want to go back on this just on the fact that he had one bad oh. season, oh dizzy hush. Um, uh, the fact that he had one bad season in the year where they ended up making it to the World Series, you can kind of swallow that a little bit more, knowing what the team did as a whole in general, um, and that you could just chalk up his season to to him struggling. <laughs> But but the fact that they want to move on from him and it sounds like so bad, um, I don't know. I, I I don't know what to make of it. I, you know. Yeah. Yes, dizzy. I know. I know. I should be I should be less cynical about the situation. Um, <laughs> I, I I I don't know because you think the front office would have the best grasp on a thing like this. Um. Now he's looking dead at me. He's mad at me now. I'm sorry, guys. Hey, it's Harper. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's up?
0: Yeah. So, so look, when you talk about Nick Castellanos, one thing that, that, you know, excited me so much to, to the signing was the personality that came with the player, you know, who is very much, I I talk a lot about this in, in, or or have always talked a lot about this in all my sports podcasts. You know, when you come to a city like Philadelphia, like I want that Kobe Bryant mentality, right? I want that fuck you attitude. And he was a guy that just had it, man. He just, he strikes me as an asshole in the most endearing way. And, you know, a guy who plays with a lot of passion, a lot of energy, and he's been dead the entire time he's been here. And I, I wonder how much maybe he, you regretted signing here. And maybe he, he doesn't enjoy the city. And maybe the the, the push and the willingness from, from the front office to say, hey, I feel like this is a mistake was maybe one that says, like, hey, he flat out told us he didn't really want to come here and we pushed the dollar to a point that he had to say yes. And he's starting to realize money isn't everything. I don't know, but he seems like a, a different human being in Philadelphia. And it, it the marriage felt perfect to me. You know, it, it was, this was like a Jason Worth type signing, you know, for, for me, this was that type of a personality, uh, that type of a bat, you know, a guy that could hit 30 plus home runs but more likely around 25 you know 2025 but he was going to wreck the gaps out there um and just play with a lot of passion and energy and he hasn't been that guy yeah you know Andrew you're another one who was a big fan of the signing going forward with Castellanos you know what's your read on this situation do you feel like this is a guy that just doesn't like Philadelphia and and maybe he he recognizes it's better for him to go elsewhere
1: so I, I actually don't I, – I think he does – kind of, I think he does enjoy it for the most part. And that's sort of something that I was going to bring up here. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it just sounds like an excuse, but maybe it, it's real. Did you guys see his interview on the story of him uh, getting Ben Simmons' house? Just because he is a guy so much on emotion and, and um, energy and everything. Did you see, did you guys hear his interview?
0: Uh, I read clips from in an, in an article.
1: Okay. Just because, like – a lot of that was kind of interesting, the way he was saying it. Um, it came out in a great, around game one of the World Series, or, or maybe the end of the NLCS, but yeah. a lot of that kind of opened my eyes, because he, he did mention how, I mean, he loves playing here, he is probably the best baseball environment he's ever played in, but in the mm-hmm. end, I mean, to have people know where you live and everything, um, I, and I just got the exact quote, he said, quote, I held on to the anger and just feelings that are not uh, conducive to being a kid playing baseball. And when I'm at my best, I'm not worrying about anything or thinking about anything. I'm not really somebody who, who has a routine. It's just more when Nick is happy and he's fun, usually good stuff happens out there. And it seemed like he really kind of got bothered by the Ben Simmons house thing. Like, just everybody knowing where he was, lived and everything. And it seemed like it did kind of get to him a little bit. And you saw his numbers get better by the end of the season when he would have started adjusting to it before his um his injury happened. But Uh, because if you look at his numbers, in August he hit 300, in September he hit 357, so he really started coming along toward the end there. So I I think a lot of that did play a factor. So overall, I do think he enjoys it, and that's why I do think it's worth playing the contract out for at least another year of it, because it did seem like it took him a little bit to adjust, but he finally found the rhythm uh, toward the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and that's a really interesting point. You know, this is something that, you know, it's a harsh reality and one that the three of us will probably never have to endure. But, you know, being a, a public figure now and with social media the way that it is and and with um, media in general uh, and journalism in general or what's left of journalism um, and the way that people report, you know, privacy is, is no longer expected at all in that lifestyle. You know, and, and one thing that he had mentioned in that interview, you know, was that, you know, when, when he's at the ballpark, you know, he's a baseball player and, and this is what he loves to do. But, you know, when that's over and he goes home, like he just wants to be home. Um, and as someone who is, you know, a, just a very much so an introvert and once the, the door behind me in my home closes, you know, it's, it's where I feel safest. It's where I feel the most myself um, and the most relaxed. You know, I, c- I couldn't imagine, you know, not feeling that way in my own home. Um, you know, so, from that respect, you know, and this is not just a Nick Castellanos thing, this is a, an athletes all over the world thing, you know, at a certain point I do think that, you know, privacy should basic human privacy should be, you know, uh an expectation across the board. Um and it's it's a it's a real shame when when that's not the case. Um you know, so you do feel for for a guy like that. Um, you know, and hopefully he Finds a way to kind of to, to deal with that. Lord knows I would not be able to. Um, you know, but I hope that he finds a way to deal with it and that it is in Philadelphia. I, I do think he's prime for uh, another great season. Um, that, you know, we would have grown accustomed to. Um, you know, because Andrew, you're right. I mean, a great first month, gets hit on the hand, really terrible middle of the season there, uh, and then really starts to at least pick up a, a bit. Uh, certainly with the average. Um, you know, the power not quite as much but you know still there in the last two months of the season so um we'll see we'll see with a guy like castellanos um we've made it this far without talking too much about bryce harper a guy who is on pace for a season that was better than his last year's mvp season which is one of the best seasons we've ever seen in a Phillies uniform um you know and he did and and he does that with a torn ligament in his elbow and then Obviously the Blake Snell pitch, um, you know, that breaks his thumb and knocks him out for 54, 58 games, something like that um, comes back is, is slow to, uh, to kind of adapt. And, and we all thought, man, is this a guy that's um, that's, that's rushing back and, and he's, he's physically just not ready. Um, you know, that they they were winning before he came back, he came back and it, you know, just unfortunately lined up with uh, a, just a string of, of losses and bad baseball Um, you know, and then thankfully, you know, a hanging curve ball, uh, in, in game two there, uh, in St. Louis in the wild card and just, he's back. Um, and what an unbelievable magical run for an individual player. Um, and for a guy who, and, and I am curious to hear what, what both of you think about this as well. Um. I, I almost felt as though when each of these moments happened, I'm so used to, you know, there. If, if you typed Bryce Harper's name in Google right now, um, you know, and, and did an image search, you'd probably find a lot of him, you know, flipping his hair back, screaming at second base, you know, after a double, um, you know, and just a lot of passion and energy. He was so stoic this whole time. There was just so much control, and it just, it almost felt like he was even taken aback by the moment about what this city how the city responded to him and his moments, um, you know, and, and it was even captured at one point, uh, in the dugout after he hit that unbelievable home run to effectively send us to the world series, the, the, the quote of, wow, you know, I really just did that. Um, uh, but this was a guy that, that was, he'd hit, you know, th- these unbelievable, you know, home runs and doubles and, and he'd make these things happen. And it was just, you know, a, a rip across the chest, tr- the chest to, to show the Phillies emblem. Um, And just this calm, stoic, like, I'm fucking here kind of attitude. And it was so different from Bryce Harper. And it was, like, hauntingly, like, just beautiful. It was amazing. Biscuit, for for you watching Bryce Harper this postseason, did he feel like a different player energy-wise? Did he feel any different?
2: Oh, he just – I don't know if he necessarily felt different. But, like, from where it was a month ago – when he was really scuffling and you almost wanted anyone else up in a big spot other than him. Um, It was completely different ever since that home running game too. It was him. You wanted at the plate Um, and and just some of the, some of the moments that he had my favorite, um, obviously the, the uh, NLCS walk off or not walk off home run, the, uh, the uh, go ahead home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. That'll go down as, probably one of the most talked about moments uh in, in philly sports um you know for a team that never won a title at least but my favorite mm-hmm. moment was in um a game that i actually did not get to watch much of but it was actually uh the game prior to that in game four of the uh, national league championship series when he hit the go ahead double and when he when he um Turned around to the dugout and was chirping at the, the team and said, this is this is my fucking house Um, <laughs> that that's when I felt like things were different. That's when I, I was like, this is he, he's on like like there are so many there, you know, like there's not many tears with Bryce Harper like he's either, you know, cold for some reason or really fucking good. But it was like insanely fucking good. That was like a whole new tier that he unlocked, and it was just such a different breed from him. So in those moments, like it, it did, I guess, feel different. Um, but it, but it was fucking wild, man. What a, what a, you know, what, what a show he put on.
0: You know, and Andrew, as you're watching, you know, this run, some, some of it live, some of it, uh, just clips after, you know, after your work days. Um, you know, can you kind of talk about the, the, There was an interview, and I don't know if you had, if, if you had seen it, but um, you know, it was after they they had clinched, a, you know, a World Series berth, and it was an on the field interview, and, and whomever was interviewing uh, Bryce Harper, you know, basically, you know, asked, is, is there anything, you know, that you want to say to the city of Philadelphia? And he, in tears, he just says, thank you, you know, just just thank you for embracing him, thank you for, for showing up, and thank you for being there um you know welcoming his family and like it was just this like moment of raw genuine emotion and just love you know for for this city where if you would have asked you know during that that almost september collapse again a lot of people were were having conversations about like is bryce harper the type of guy that forces himself out of a situation because he he knows he's not going to win in philadelphia you know to go from that six weeks earlier to tears and thanking the city of Philadelphia and the fans for embracing him. You know, what do you think that says about his, his character for one? And and does that just reinstill the faith that he wants to be here for the remainder of his career? Uh, And he's a guy that's just always going to wear this city on his sleeve.
1: Yeah, no question. I think um, it, it is special. And I think, from all the emotion from you talked about it uh was a month before like you said or the september collapse possibly it was everybody was questioning and even sports radio and stuff you heard him talking about like can he be that guy can he be the the best player there because i mean you had all the stuff going on in washington he leaves of course they win the world series the, the year after he goes and then here it would have been the third straight year with the september collapse with him and everybody was starting to question that. So I I think all that emotion and, and you know, he's a guy that he lives, he lives by the city now, obviously. And he he does take all the emotion with the city. And he seems like, obviously he's embracing Philadelphia and he's a Philadelphia guy. So uh, I think all that building up created all that extra emotion, extra energy from him. and, And I think that's where he kind of found the joy is, is the fans. And when he's seeing that stuff, you know, the struggles the last few years and everything, and, he knows how long it's been that the, the Phillies, he mentioned it when we first signed him, that's what he wants to do. So I think he just, he's almost a fan, is the best way to put it, with the yeah. team. I mean, he just wants to enjoy the ride. He wants to take every moment at, like it's a, a real moment. And it, he, like to me, he'd be one of those guys, like, you know, if he's sitting in the crowd, he's not going to have his phone out because he wants to just embrace the moment. You know, obviously nowadays you always say everybody taking pictures and videos of the, of the moment in the crowd. But he'd be a guy, I feel like, who's just going to embrace the moment being there. And he just wants to enjoy every second of it with the team, with the fans. And, and that's something I kind of gathered, too, when I had the opportunity. I had a free Saturday, so I drove up to game two of the, the Phillies Cardinals series <laughs> um, at St. Louis uh, that morning. And I, I kind of felt that way. I, got, I was lucky enough to see them clinch that round. And uh, go on to the next round. And after the game, I mean, it was for the the Phillies fans that traveled and were there. They like everyone stayed in the seats after the game, and the, the players were on the field yelling with fans and stuff. And like it got to the point where we're both both the players, some players, and the fans. We were there for 45 minutes after the game, kind of just celebrating. And it, it took all the the Cardinals uh, like ushers and stuff to start forcing us out of the stadium before like the fans and the players kind of like kind of stopped a little bit. Like so, it's just it was a fun ride between that. And then it all starts with Harper. I truly believe that and, and embracing and getting the whole locker room to buy into that as well.
0: Yeah. The, the, you know, the, we're not losing, you know, mentality and correct me if I'm wrong. You were on TV that night, right? After yes, the game, yeah. you're damn right. You were.
1: a couple times uh, of <laughs> pictures after the game and one from you, Shane.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we, yeah, me and the missus, we noticed it right away um yeah you know, i sat there and i you know i was you know the, the just the the beauty of being able to pause tv now with this shit just be like what the fuck um you know there's my guy i'm so happy um no that that was awesome um you know i think you're right it, it, it starts with the guy who truly is the pulse of the city um you know and that is that's bryce harper um you know and just another thing you know when you when you take a look at um you could take a look at at kind of a transcendent type of players and personalities in sports. Joel Embiid with the Sixers. People want to come and play with Joel Embiid. Um, when Allen Iverson was here, people wanted to come. Well, sort of wanted to come and play with Allen Iverson. And I think was whether or not Allen Iverson wanted to play with them, uh, you know, was different. Carson Wentz at the start of his, of his Eagles career. People wanted to come to Philadelphia to play with him. Michael Vick, uh, when he regained the reins as a starting quarterback here in Philadelphia, wanted to come and play with Michael Vick, you know that is what Bryce Harper is, you know, for a while he was kind of, you know, he was the, that backseat superstar in Washington, you know, behind, you know, uh, organizations first overall number, uh, pick Zimmerman behind worth behind that pitching staff, you know, there was so much around him, but he was brought to this city to be that guy. And he, he finally is the right to be, you know, the face of the franchise superstar. And, you know, I think that you know, people have now seen his maturity and, and grace go from 19 year old, you know, phenom uh, with uh, a bit of an edge to him to, to this family man who just embraces his love for family and his love for baseball and his love for this city and puts it all together. And people see that and it's infectious. You know, his teammates who are here for it, it's infectious. They believe in it and they're here for it. Free agents are going to want to come here for it. Um, and not enough can be said for that. So so Bryce Harper just. Uh, who he is as a person and and what he's able to do on the field as a player, just unbelievable for this organization and city. Um, but I do want to wrap this one up with uh let's just talk just a little bit about the bullpen. So, you know, it's been forever since we had a bullpen worth talking about in Philadelphia. And since you know, kind of the end of June there, mid July, you know, th- this this pen really took took form, took shape, and and it's weird. It was kind of as a result of several injuries, right? You know, you you lose um, you know you lose Canable who finally had started to pitch well again, um, you know, after a really, really rough, uh, really almost an entire month out there. Um, you know, Sir Anthony goes down at one point, um, comes back, doesn't really have the confidence that he had. Alvarado was sent down uh, at one point, comes back, and all of a sudden becomes one of the best left-handed relievers in the game, um, you know, from that point on. Um, you know, and I think that when you mention, you know, specifically those those last two guys, you um, you know, how, how incredibly important it is to have anything you can feel good about going into next season, which is something we had more questions than answers, uh, in in seasons prior. And we were throwing money at, at bullpen pieces and man, it's tough, you know, to sit there and see the contracts that we handed out over these last three, four years for the bullpen and see not a single fucking one of them work out, you know, but I think between Bilotti, Alvarado uh, and Sir Anthony, you, ha- you right now have three guys in this pen who you can feel pretty good about, you know, going in at, at almost any time in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Um, you know, that then you have a few other pieces that you just, you kind of hope with and, and you trust the the organization to go forward with. But Biscuit, for you, as you take a look at what this bullpen was able to do th- through the stretch running season and what they were really able to do in the postseason, you know, how much of a lift is it for you who feel good or hopefully you feel good i don't know you were sort of shaking your head there like an asshole it was about the bilotti thing
2: i don't know man look i i think the bullpens <laughs> there, there's a lot of look you have you know Corey Knebel who went down what early, early august late august went down you know r- really before the the sh- big stretch run um connor Brockton I think has a lot of upside, but he kind of always goes through a law where he really struggles for like a month or so, and then kind of figures it out again. Um, you hope Alvarado could build from this. You hope Dominguez can build from this, but I think there's still a lot of questions in the bullpen. I think there's a lot of guys who they got innings from back there who aren't coming back. A lot of guys who I think the jury's still out on. Um, I think they have a better foundation than they've had in recent years with um with uh, Dominguez uh, and Alvarado and, and Brogdon and, and um, Bellotti. But I, I do think they need more from the pen. What they're going to do there, I'm not sure. I think the Phillies and bullpen moves are one of the hardest things to predict because you never know, really. I, I don't think they're going to go out and get the big bullpen fish. Um, so you kind of have to rely on guys stepping up, trades they might make. Um Dizzy obviously does not like this topic at all, but um I, yeah I'm no
0: regretting not going to Andrew. <laughs> I, I look, I suppose it's fair. Um yeah, I'm gonna go to Andrew because that that felt like the answer that I was not going for. Andrew, <laughs> what um, is your thought?
1: No, I, I think for once I don't have to sit here and say bullpen's a major need. Like I truly believe it. I I think the bigger need is in the starting rotation. Uh, I think you need to add a starter there. And then, obviously, the bats that we've already talked about. I think you can trust him in this. Uh, I think another year removed from his injury will do wonders for for him and have a real off season where he can build his uh, progression back. I think that's going to be a strong point. Jose Alvarado, like you mentioned, Shane, got sent down to AAA, comes back as one of the best relievers. So now he'll, he'll have a full off season of working with that new pitch and everything and, and be fine. And then Andrew Bellotti, he was a, the big surprise of the year. I mean, he was striking yeah. out guys left and right. He, he carried it into the postseason. He threw well in the postseason. So uh, I, I'm really excited for this bullpen next year. And and here's one thing now that we're talking about the bullpen I kind of wanted to bring up. And, you know, we have the starting rotation there, Wheeler, Nolas, Suarez. Um, obviously, the uh, Dabrowski said a younger guy might come up. I, I think a, a, a sleeper bullpen piece next year depending on which way they go with it and if they do sign somebody, could be Bailey Falter. Um, And I know this sounds weird after pitching well in the offseason, but I kind of don't want to see him start in the minors next year. And if you do add a veteran starter like they're talking about and then you do go with one of the younger guys, the young prospects, I want to see Falter be that left-hander out of the bullpen, um, play a role in that um, outside of Alvarado being that next left. I'm obviously, a hand and uh, David Roberts is uh, up for grabs in, in the offseason here as free agents. So you're going to be searching there. So I don't want to see uh, Bailey start, start down the minors.
0: Yeah, I don't know about Bailey Falter. You know, him and Chris Sanchez basically you know, were guys that were slotted in to give extra days rest against the teams that we could afford to give the extra days rest for. I don't know what either of them really are or can be against legitimate major league rosters uh through through an entire season where i would say the intrigue for me is there is asking them to come in as relievers as opposed to starters uh i think would be a safer bet you know to give you like some some low leverage type of of innings up front to figure things out um i just don't know that either one of them have a pitch dominant enough to to be a viable bullpen piece but it's something that hey if you give them an entire off season and say, Hey, your new role for this organization is this let's work on this pitch. Who knows? Um, you know, and the known com- known commodities and controllable ones at that. So um, we'll see, we, we will see, but you know, I think that's, um, you know, I won't say it's not a concern going in uh, or a priority going in. I think everything's a priority when you're a championship contending team now, um, you know, because windows are small, we know that, you know, so, it's about being able to, to capitalize on everything. And I think that's why the aggressive uh, willingness to move and part ways with pieces is going to be um, is going to be ever present, you know, this off season, this, this upcoming deadline, um, you know, and, and so forth, so on and so forth for the next few years. Um, two final things for, for we sign off one. Uh, I desperately, desperately, desperately need the game of baseball to allow starting pitchers to pitch complete fucking games again especially in the postseason um you know to me I, I wasn't always in favor of every move the topper made in the postseason but for a real strong majority of it you know the 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 results spoke for themselves so you live with it um you know but that wheeler situation there was one that that st- stings for a baseball traditionalist like myself i am not someone who fears the third time through the order with a ace level pitcher. Um, And, you know, that is something that I I wish uh, will be managed differently going, you know, in the future, you know, for one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched in my entire life was the combined no hitter against us in the world series. And it was frustrating for two reasons. One, it was fucking embarrassing, but two, There's nothing to celebrate. It's not fun. You got no hit. There should never be a zero on the board in the hits column for an entire baseball game at the major league level. And it not be a night to remember, even if you are the team that gets effectively no hit. Let the guys throw. Who gives a shit? Biscuit, you look like you want to weigh in on that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I honestly. So something that's being floated, floated, floated around about the Phillies in regard to the starting pitching next year is the possibility of a six man rotation.
0: I agree. I, with
2: it. I well, well, and I honestly think if that's implemented, you'll start seeing starters go later in the games because they're getting a little bit more rest in between starts. Um. I think it helps keep people healthy down the stretch. I, I think the fact that the Phillies are going to have a lot of, you know, it, it seems like they're in the market for a starting pitcher. You have three starting <laughs> pitchers who are top prospects in the minors. It feels like they have the grounds to really kind of go about it next season where I don't think they really could in years past. Um, So that that's just an interesting thing to see and monitor moving forward that I wanted to bring up because I, I – in regard to the Tom the Thompson thing, um, I don't think it was the wrong decision to pull Zach Wheeler. I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, it was the wrong decision. But I don't think you know going back and knowing the outcome, you, you kind of play that differently. I think you want to, you know, the the, the logic to going with your high power lefty reliever against you not know, for a fourth back. time
0: when he hasn't been good the last three outings. Um, he was spent he just spent and he's going up against an unbelievable hitter in Jordan Alvarez
2: you got a, you got a point but at the same time you feel the most confident that if he's on he's the guy who gets it done in that spot i think um
0: if he's on which to me again was a situation where I, I could clearly see as a fan you know it was a guy who was spent you know he, he it didn't have the same movement didn't have the same life
2: but um, outside to, to your point there out, outside of really that game wheeler had looked spent the last what two two starts start
0: oh no starters. question but how did so, he look uh, it was a bleeder hit I mean, we could go in for this forever so and we probably will <laughs> um at some point um you know I but for me to dig a little bit there Shane for for me as a baseball purist man I I just I miss I miss the excitement and passion that comes with complete games and especially in the postseason that's um, fair. Touché. You know, to, to sit there and see these, you know, unbelievable pitching performances from starting pitchers who go out there and throw four or five, maybe six innings. And I'm like, just, I understand the game has shifted to a bullpen game, but at a certain point, like, if these are your horses, these are your horses. And, you know, the six man rotation argument, Biscuit, just to, to wrap that, this first point up here. Um, you know i'm in favor of it for for the phillies and i'm in favor of it if you can get cindergard who i don't love but if you could get cindergard or a Syndergaard-esque starting pitcher uh along with a legitimate starting pitcher you know if you pair Syndergaard up with one of these young kids and that's like your effective 5 6 uh you know or 6th essentially and and Syndergaard eventually goes to the bullpen or the cindergard like option goes to the bullpen like that's great Give these guys, you know, I mean, Aaron Nola pitches more innings than anyone in baseball over the last five years. Zach Wheeler over the last three years, he's up there in innings uh, compared to everybody. Um, You know, and you do have to look at at the way that that affects these arms eventually. Um, You know, I think if you can manage it better throughout the year, you allow yourself for better opportunity in the postseason. You don't have to think about going to Alvarado, um, you know, for a fifth time in seven days or whatever. Um, but the last point I want to bring up here and, and I'll let each of you guys kind of bring up your final thoughts here as well is Gene Segura, man, I'm, I'm going to miss you. Um, you know, we, we knew that, that it was coming to an end and he was likely not coming back. Um, but just a a guy who really, who he won me over, he he was someone I was excited about at first. Um, and very quickly, you know, I, I kind of turned and I wasn't, I was frustrated by him in general. And man, he's just like it's a, he he was just a player that by the end was impossible to not love. You know the the little Mario skip down the line for that that uh, two run uh, two run kind of squeaker single in, in St. Louis. Um, you know all, all the 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 emotion with the bats, the the sliding in for the team pictures, and being you know like everyone's little brother out there, despite being one of the elder statesmen of the team and roster. Um really gonna miss Gene Cigar in a Phillies uniform. Um and it's a shame that uh you know that there isn't really a clear spot for him going forward. Uh, but final thoughts for either of you two gentlemen. Biscuit, I'll start with you. You're muted.
2: I was muted, my baby started <laughs> babbling. Um <laughs> let's hope. and now my mother's calling me. Look at me, double whammy. Um
0: uh, let, let's hope they
2: can get back there next year. <clears throat> All in for yeah. that. Yeah, and man, Andrew. Uh, real quick, yeah, on, on Segura,
1: I agree. It's it stinks nice to see him go. Um, he's always been one of my favorite guys. I know when we first got him that first year, I went down to the spring training, and here's actually the first T shirt slash jersey I bought um for that season. So now I've always liked Segura, um, and obviously he's overcome a lot here since you know he didn't run that ball out and led to the McCutcheon injury. That's when things started to turn for him in the season. And just what a turnaround for him. I mean, kind of like almost a a pre-Alec Bohm kind of turnaround with the city, too, like before the season, just because of everything that happened before this year. So, I don't know. I know it's unlikely, but I'm kind of hoping they find a way to bring him back and work it out. I know he said he wants to come back here as well, but um, we'll see if it's able to get done. I know it's unlikely, but...
0: If they move on from Reese and they do decide, hey, we're gonna shift over uh, Alec Bohm to first base, maybe, man. Maybe he hangs the second. Maybe Stadi goes to third. You know, who knows? We'll we'll see.
1: That's true. That's true. Bo- Boehm, Segura, Turner, uh, stop Thank
0: you. Sounds like uh, wins to me, man.
1: Right. But yeah, uh, like Biscuit said too. Hopefully, we can get it back next year.
0: All right, and that's going to wrap things up here for the return uh, edition and episode for the off-season version of the So You Think You Can Manage podcast for Biscuit and for Andrew So You Think You Can Manage. We think Topper's got this
2: one. We'll see you guys next week.